Hey everyone, Chad here. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Shipley Show where I surface up insightful, inspiring, or and or entertaining content for you. <laughs> I like to call it my huge labor of love. Okay, today's episode, Among Heroes, Everyone's Best Friend, is about a person that I am really, really inspired by, and not just in one aspect, which I think you'll see here in a minute. The content I found on him, and I'll go into it in the show, it really hit me deep, and I hope that this show touches each of you in the same special way. Okay, who is this person? His name is Glenn Doherty, and he was one of the elite ex-military personnel that gave his life fighting in the 2012 Benghazi attack. Now, I read two books by a former Navy SEAL and SEAL sniper course instructor named Brandon Webb. One of them was a book called Among Heroes, where he talks about his best friend, Glenn Doherty, and I pulled some content from that. The other was a movie that was based on the events that transpired called 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. This is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely one of my favorite movies based on real life events. I would, at a minimum, watch the movie trailer to 13 hours, and I would sample the audible format of the book Among Heroes on Amazon because Brandon actually gives – it's him giving an introduction to the book and why he felt so inspired to write it, and it, it's really, really powerful. At the end of this podcast, I'm actually going to add in a little piece from, from the book that I think will touch all of you listening and hopefully give you a sample of how powerful that format really is. Okay, <clears throat> coming back to the movie, it starts out by giving you a couple of facts that are really important for context when talking about the Benghazi attack. And I just want to quickly read through them for you to set it up. 2012, the U.S. had 294 diplomatic outposts worldwide. 12 were in places so dangerous the State Department deemed them threat level critical. Two were in Libya, Tripoli, and Benghazi. Warring militia gangs raided Gaddafi's massive armories. Violent turf wars broke out. Benghazi became one of the most dangerous places on earth. Virtually every foreign embassy closed, except a U.S. diplomatic outpost and a covert CIA base. The CIA watched for lethal weapons before they spread to the global black market. The CIA base was protected. Six elite ex-military operators, codename GRS. This is a true story. And the story essentially follows the six elite ex-military that were working at the CIA compound, which again was approximately one mile from the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya. Of the six men, two were ex-Navy SEALs, three were ex-Marines, and one was an ex-Army Ranger. Just to be clear, Glenn Doherty was not one of these six men. He comes into play a little bit later. Now, just to summarize, Gaddafi had been killed. I think he was killed about a, a year prior. They held, they had the dragging him through the streets incident. Someone caught it on a mobile phone. His his massive armories were then raided by these warring militia gangs, meaning that there were extremely dangerous weapons now in the hands of these violent militia groups that are at war with one another. Benghazi was one of the most dangerous places on the entire planet. Nearly every foreign embassy had closed, but there was a U.S. embassy in Benghazi, an undercover CIA compound about one mile down the street, and another U.S. embassy about 400 miles away in Tripoli. The movie is like literally breathtakingly action-packed from beginning to end. One of the most climatic points of the movie is when the embassy begins to be attacked. The CIA compound, the people that were at the CIA compound in the movie, they can hear and see that something is happening, and they receive requests over the air for help. The six guys, the six elite ex-military guys, immediately suit up, 
and they're ready to go fight when the chief, he, they refer to him as the chief in the movie, the chief of the CIA compound tells them that they must stand down. They are not the first responders. The CIA was undercover and was not supposed to be in the country. He did not want them to compromise their 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 position and the mission of what they were trying to do there. So Tyrone Woods um, or Roan, he, he was one of the Navy SEALs that uh, ended up giving his, his life as well, fight, fighting in this incident. He, in the movie, is seemingly the leader of the other five guys. And he gets them together and he says, listen up, none of you have to go, but we are the only help they have. The embassy then is under attack and it, like the there's pleading that comes over the radio to Tripoli for help. And Tripoli is about 400 miles away from the movie. Tripoli, Tripoli, Benghazi is under attack. The Ambo is in the safe haven. We are overrun. We need immediate assistance. Now, just as a reminder, um, Tripoli was about 400 miles away. And as I mentioned, Glenn Doherty was working as an ex-military contractor, but he was not in Benghazi. He was in Tripoli. And when he heard the call come in that the embassy was under attack, he immediately began doing everything he could to get to Benghazi so that he could join the fight alongside his brothers. In the movie, he actually says, I need a bag full of cash and a flight to Benghazi. In the book, Brandon talks about him and some of the others that join him getting to an airport and finding a pilot and a plane that would take them to Benghazi. I, I watched the movie before I read the book, so it really caught my attention when I heard Brandon talk about the 2012 Benghazi attack. In the introduction, which is what I recommended you, you listen to on Audible, just sample it. You can sample the book and you'll hear the introduction from Brandon. He talks about finishing the Red Circle, which was the other book that I read by him, and then struggling to find out what project to do next. Not, not for a lack of ideas, but he just felt that this book needed to be written after losing his best friend, Glenn Doherty, in 2012 in Benghazi, Libya. He felt strongly about telling his story about these amazing people and friends of his who they, they weren't around to tell their story anymore and how they sacrificed everything and to also pass on the Amer Amer the amazing character traits that they had and the impact they had on him. And the format for the book, Among Heroes, is really, really cool. It's him speaking and introducing each chapter. Then there is a narration of the chapter, which is dedicated to a fallen hero that Brandon is paying tribute to. And then after the chapter, there's actual audio of someone close to that person talking about them, which I'll sample for you at the end of the show if you <laughs> if you make it that far. Just hearing Brandon introduce each person and what they meant to him, it's very, very powerful. Every story is amazing. And then to hear a close loved one afterwards afterwards talking about that particular person, it's it's really, really moving. Just as one example, the first chapter is on a guy named Mike Bearden. And then his father comes on afterwards and talks about not only losing Mike, but actually losing another child as well, losing two children. It's really sad, but it, amazing to listen to them. And it's amazing for them to have a chance to talk about who who these people were and who they were to the family and what they meant to them. And it hit me somewhere pretty deep inside, especially when I think about the kind of friend that I want to be and what I want my family and friends to remember me for and by and how I'd want to live on in, in their memories. And then uh, chapter three is actually a story about Matt Axelson, who he was one of the men that died, that gave his life in Afghanistan in 2005 on a mission to take out Taliban leader Ahmad Shah. 
the movie Lone Survivor starring Mark Wahlberg as uh, he played Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell was actually the lone, the, the, the one guy that survived. He went on to write the book The Lone Survivor. Then they made a, a movie based on it. Um, there's a character in that movie that plays Matt Axelson because Matt Axelson was one of the people that actually um, was there and in, in, in fighting in that. And then Matt Axelson's mother Donna comes on after the chapter to talk about him and she tells a story about how he called them one day and just said, like, look, I, I want to give back. And uh, he, he says he's going to become a Navy SEAL before getting on with his life. Then in the setup to Chapter 6, Brandon says, Chapter 6, everybody's best friend, Glenn Doherty. And this is where I was really introduced to Glenn and started to fall in love with who he was and his character all around, which it's pretty cool i think because had it not been for brandon writing this book i, I wouldn't even know who glenn is I, I would never know these things about him you know i would only know you know like what i know from what's out there on the internets and stuff like that and and i just feel like i would have i've missed out so much um had brandon not really read this book and now i have someone that i'm i'm really inspired by motivated by someone that i can really use as a role model in my my own life I actually even fi tried finding a um, a picture of Glenn that I could buy to hang on my wall just because it, it's people like him that I want to be thinking about and working towards being like every single day. Like that is my role model. I want to be this kind of person. Like I, you know, a lot of people envy sports athletes and actors and, you know, authors and whatever. And they, you know, all those people do cool things. Um, or great things, and you know that one thing about them. They're great on the basketball court. We don't often see too much behind the scenes. And, you know, like when I think about people like Glenn Doherty, I'm just like all around, like everything that I've consumed about this person, that's the person I want to be. The friend he was to so many, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, you know, just the skills that he had, this thirst for life. Brandon actually says like he was, he was born to recreate. Um, I think about that all the time now. Like I, I want constant recreation and it, it's just, you know, this, this, everything that I've gone through with Glenn has been really, really, um, meaningful and powerful to me, which is why I'm surfing it up to all of you. Okay. Here are some of the things that I took away from the book. And I want to note that I'm almost quoting, if not quoting exactly, from the book. I felt like it would be disrespectful for me to change Brandon's words about how he described his best friend, Glenn. So some of this is literally like just me taking it right out of the book. Okay. He was a perfectionist and worked really hard to not just be the best, but to be the best of the best. In Bud's class, along with other classes, they had a name for the top graduate in the class. It was Honor Man. In practically every class that Brandon and uh, Glenn went through together, Glenn was always the Honor Man. Glenn would go to bed last and be up first, and if he wasn't going for a run, he was cooking everyone breakfast or getting everyone else up to go for a run. He'd be up at dawn after a night of major partying while everyone else is hungover, yelling out, all right, everyone, we're going for a six-mile run and then get back to lift some weights. He called it sweating the demons out. You work hard, you play hard, then you get back to work on yourself again, hard. He was an avid reader, expert skier, a skilled whitewater rafting instructor, an accomplished triathlete, an experienced chef, and an excellent writer. He was such a great medic that a top brain surgeon offered to pay his way through physician assistant school if he would come work for him. 
He actually talks, Brandon talks about a time when they were surfing in Mexico. Their friend was smashed against some rocks. His spine was pierced. He needed immediate, immediately a surgery, emergency surgery. There was no one around to do that except for these guys. And it just happens that one of the guys that they were surfing with was a brilliant Pakistani brain surgeon. So they toss him onto a picnic table after stopping by at the only nearby store for beer and painkillers. Glenn pulls out his medical kit that he always had with him. They load his buddy. He loads his buddy up with morphine. They irrigate the puncture site. And then Glenn aids this surgeon on doing this like very delicate surgery. And the surgeon said that Glenn had a brilliant medical career ahead of him if he was interesting in doing it. And, you know, it's just like this is one of the many stories that makes this book just so like really exciting and interesting to read. Um, back to Glenn. He was an A student and excelled at everything he did. He was a skilled pilot. And Brandon actually puts like really, really interesting and funny story in the book about a time when the two of them flew together. So you have to buy the book to listen to that. It's really funny. Brandon talks about um, them having some differences in their upbringing, but them also having a lot in common, like their love for the outdoors, their passion for doing something as well as you can possibly do it. Like I think about that all the time now, like just do something as good as you could possibly do it. It's not about winning a race. It's about beating yourself like mentally and physically doing it like to your top level. And then he talks about how they both had a zero tolerance for bullshit. And I love, I love this part so much. It actually reminded me uh, a lot of my best friend, Jason Pompa, who's been my best friend since we were like five years old because Jason has an absolute zero tolerance for bullshit. And it's one of the things that I, I really admire about him. There's there's actually an old running joke that Jason and I would have probably hated each other had we not grown up right next to one another our whole lives. And, you know, it, it's because in some ways we're like, well, in most ways we're just polar opposites. Like we're completely different people. We have very different interests. We think about things very differently. But the funny thing is there are so many qualities that Jason has that are polar opposite to me that I really admire. And I, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had more of them. And I'm thankful that he's my friend because it kind of gives me you know, things to think about differently and insights, you know, like that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And if you took the top qualities from the both of us, I, I kind of think you'd have like a person that's, that's like Glenn, right? Like he's like the best of both of us. Like he has that badass quality, but he also has that very like, you know, um, all caring about a lot of people, you know, like reaching out, telling people how much he feels about them, like the soft touchy side, that's kind of like me. Jason's like the badass, you know. I I always tell Jason like he if he would have went into elite military training, like he would have been one of these guys. He just has that he has that ability to do things that no one else can do. And anyway, if you take the both the best qualities of both of us, like I feel like that's Glenn. He exemplifies, you know, what what the the best of both of us would have to offer. And there's a part in the book where Brandon talks about a party that Glenn's brother and sister throw for him and how his brother and sister gave a speech where they reference a line in the movie, A River Runs Through It, which if you've never seen that movie, go watch it. It is like a phenomenal movie. And in the movie, there's the older brother is recalling his father's struggle to find more memories of his younger son, Paul, which was played by Brad Pitt. And, and Paul had died in the movie. And just to kind of read it for you here, they read it in the speech from the movie. As time passed, my father struggled for more to hold on to, asking me again and again had I told him everything. And finally, I said to him, maybe all I know about Paul is that he was a fine fisherman, 
You know more than that, my father said. He was beautiful. And that was the last time we spoke of my brother's death. In the speech, Glenn's, Glenn, Glenn's brother, Greg, he likened him to the Brad Pitt character. And he actually said, so we will tell you now while you are still here that you are beautiful. And I, I just love this part so much. The fact that they like threw him a party and they took the time to write the speech and let him know what they felt about him. Like that, that, that was so powerful to me. And I, I think, you know, we don't, we don't do that anywhere. I don't, I feel like so many people don't do that. They don't really take time to like think about what other people mean to them. And, and one of my things a couple years back, sort of like a resolution for me, I, I wanted to start really figuring out how to like let, let people know how much they really meant to me. And so I went through and I actually like for my family for Christmas, I created these recordings just using the recording app on my phone. And each one was like 10 minutes to some might've been upwards of 20 minutes, basically me just kind of really talking about how important they are in my life, how much they mean to me, how much, how much I love them. And I did that so that like these things could live on and, and they could always have these. And <laughs> like my nephew, I don't even think listen to it. Uh, my, you know, the other family members, they, like they probably lost it, but it doesn't matter because like, I, I went through the, that process of like really like emptying out my heart and letting them know how I felt about them. And, and that kind of made me feel like a burden was off my chest. Like I, I actually had an opportunity to tell them what, what they meant to me in my life. And the other, the other reason I love that part so much about the speech and that movie that that's actually that was one of mine and Jason's favorite movies growing up. And it's funny because the two brothers in the movie were so much like the two of us because they were really opposite. Jason is was kind of like the Paul character or the Brad Pitt character that lived life on the edge and I was kind of like the older, little less wild, more academic type and you know, I say little less wild. That is in context of comparison to Jason. In context and comparison to most people, I probably am a little wild and crazy, um, but compared to him, I'm I'm probably not. I'm I'm a little bit more of the conservative one. And um, you know, one of the things that Brandon, the author, talked about with Glenn that I really liked was his dedication to friendship. He told Brandon one time that friendship was like a garden. This is kind of like where I. This is kind of my qualities in in Glenn, right? Um, he told he told Brandon that uh, friendship's like a garden. It needs attention if you want to maintain it and grow it. And that Glenn taught him that true friendship is sacred. Glenn had friends from the time he was three that were still friends with him up until his death. And he used to carry around a black book with thousands of numbers in it. And every time he had some downtime, he would call to to check in with the people and to see how they were doing. And and. That is like, um, so Jason, like he's an amazing friend to so many people, but he's not like this soft, touchy type. Like I, I actually, uh, I talked about like how I recorded things for my family. I, I do that all the time with my friends. Like I just record something and I send it out to him, just to let them know I care about them, thinking about them, et cetera. Jason does that with me, but I don't think he does that too many with his other friends. Um, because he's just not like that, that touchy feely type, you know, it's one of those kind of like hardcore badass dudes. And, um, you know, coming back to Glenn, I, I think the one thing that I love most that they talked about, Brandon talked about in the book was he, he literally left in his will a request that there be no funeral if he were to die. Instead, he wanted them to throw a big fucking party in all caps with an exclamation point, which, 
if Jason even had a will, I can guarantee you that's going to be the first sentence in it. And actually for me too, I, I, I don't want a uh, very sad ceremony. I want people to show up, um, you know, celebrating my life. And for the family, they did have a funeral and thousands of people showed up. And it was because Glenn spent his life being good to other people and he was loved for it. And a couple of things that Brandon wrote at the end of the chapter that will stick with me was the party that they threw after the funeral. He said it was the biggest party they could possibly throw. Most of SEAL Team 3 showed up in Boston. One by one, the tridents were firmly pounded into the mahogany as the guys paid their respects. Afterwards, the team guys tipped a few back in his honor, sipping whiskey from a flask. They hugged each other like brothers, and they said goodbye in their own way. And, and Brandon, um, he talks about his kids missing their uncle Glenn and how they, like others, would just be better human beings for having had the opportunity of knowing him. He told them that their uncle Glenn died doing what he loves and impacting the world more than people can ever imagine, more than most people can ever imagine. And how many people can say that? He, he taught them to live their dreams and to do what they love, abandon them for no one. And he ends the chapter by talking about their unique, their very unique way of saying goodbye to Glenn. And it's a really awesome story. I don't feel worthy to tell you that here. So you'll just have to buy the book and, and kind of listen to that part for yourself. Um, you know, my, my friends mean so much to me and I hope that I'm as good to them as Glenn was to so many. I, I talked about like recording the messages. That's sort of my little black bulk mechanism for keeping up with the good people in my life. And I just, I hope some of those recordings will live on long after I die. But I encourage like anyone listening to this it, to come up with some kind of way of just, just telling people like how much they mean to you, how much you love them. It could be as simple as just sending them a text, just be like, I, I just want you to know, like you mean so much to me. And if you're a dude, like do not feel weird sending that to another dude. I, I it'll like, it'll knock down barriers and doors and, that you'd never even imagine and and just just reach out and say like listen I just wanted you to know like you you mean a lot to me even like my brother-in-law you know we've always been close but um you know I just I didn't know if he really ever knew how much I you know cared about him and and, and admired him and looked up to him because like we're we're both kind of like you know, we were both athletes and, you know, we compete a little bit, you know, we, we try to figure out who dresses cooler and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And when you have that kind of like manly back and forth, like I don't, I didn't want it to get lost in all of that, like how much he really means to me. So like every now and again, I'll just send him something, let him know, like, look, man, I'm listening to the song makes me think so much of you. You're, you're an awesome dad. So thankful for this or that you know, just to kind of let him know how how much he means to me in my life. And with Jason, there's just a special connection that I'm so deeply thankful for. My life would be so empty without him. And I, I felt inspired to read you all here a part of my best man's speech that I had the pleasure of giving at his wedding. And just to give you some background on the wedding itself, they had a ceremony in the reception at his house. And it was incredibly special in every possible way and in ways that you would never suspect. The wedding consisted of the closest of the closest family members from both sides. My father and I being the only non-relatives on Jason's side and probably a total of 10 people. They wanted it very small, very intimate, very special. And their setup is really hard to describe. They had like this big outdoor bar 
and they used the building on the property as the dance floor. All of the seating was under tents. They had beautiful restrooms brought onto the property. They had kegs of beer hooked up on self-serving taps that you could just walk up to like a bartender would at a bar. In the back, there was a huge bonfire that people could sit around and enjoy. It was really, really incredible. Okay, to the speech. And I should note that I exaggerated a few things in this for entertainment purposes, and the dates are just completely fabricated. I have, I have no idea what the dates were um, that any of this happened, but I just threw them in here to kind of make it a little bit more comical. I met Jason 28 years ago on this exact day, if you can believe it. It happened on the now iconic Palomino Drive. Jason was taking a cruise down the street on his Huffy with the little training wheels on the back, like every normal six-year-old. That was a joke. When my sister asked him if he wanted to be my friend, Jason looked at her, he looked at me, and he said, I'll think about it. And then he pedaled off into the darkness. Since that day, we have had one hell of a roller coaster ride together, some of which I thought would be appropriate or perhaps inappropriate to share right now. On December 25th, 1989, Jason and I started a Christmas tradition with one another where we could go back and forth between our houses all day playing with each other's new toys. And this is actually like I remember um, very specifically like being so expensive excited to open my presents but then as soon as they were all open like I wanted to run to Jason's house and show him like my best toys and he was doing the same thing so we'd like meet each other halfway um a lot of great memories there on February 8th 1992 Jason and I tried cigarettes together for the first time for those doing the math we were nine on July 8th 1994 I was severely injured in a near-death rollerblading accident after risking my own life to save Jason's I spent years bedridden and unable to walk. In July 1998, Jason and I took four friends with us down the lower Yuckagani River, class 45 rapids. That's an inside joke. We only came home with one friend. To this day, we have yet to talk to the other three. On August 8, 2001, after a vicious game of Marco Polo, a frustrated Jason drained all of the water from the pool in my backyard, causing it to collapse and never see laughing children again. That's a true story. He, he knocked down my pole. On August 15, 2006, Jason and I sat across the street from one another in handcuffs after having a friendly 3 a.m. fist fight with each other. When the cop asked Jason why we were fighting, he said because it's fun. And he asked the cop if we if he was still allowed to sleep over my house that night. That's, that's actually a true story. And uh, it, it was just so funny because the cops, were, they were shocked that we were friends and just like for fun decided to beat the hell out of each other at 3 in the morning 3 a.m in the morning two years later we would be arrested again this time jason fleeing the scene of the crime and leaving me to face three months of house arrest on my own for any of you that listen to the episode about my life i think it's called um from executive from jail cells to executives which talks about the mingling of like arrests that i had through my management consulting career and i'm i'm not like a criminal but you know, just growing up as like a boy with these kind of friends, just doing stupid stuff, getting in trouble. You know, it, you heard that. You heard that incident on June tenth, two thousand nine. We were robbed by South American hookers and drug trafficking taxi drivers in the middle of the day in downtown Cancun, Mexico. That story is actually. Um, I, I wasn't there. I was actually back in the hotel room, but my friends did get robbed and. Just to clarify, they weren't paying the hookers and then the hookers like stole their money or something. They The hookers came up to them in broad daylight in the middle of the street 
and like everyone was in on it. The traffic, the the taxi drivers were all like in on this, and like these women just started like taking stuff off of my friends, and my friends felt so scared to do anything about it because they they were worried that like someone was gonna kill them, so they just like gave them their watch, their phone, the money, blah 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 blah. Okay, the next day three. The next day, 300 feet underwater in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Cabo and Belize, Jason saved my life when my tank completely ran out of air in the middle of shark-infested waters. On December of 2010, Jason told me that his favorite movie was Brokeback Mountain and that watching it reminded him of our good old days together, whatever that means. In March of 2012, our lives were changed forever when my father was cut off by a person in the wrong lane making a left to head towards the market district. Were we injured? No. Have we yet to hear the end of my father's rage? I think not. This is an inside joke. My dad was like a father to Jason as well. Like they just have this very special connection. And my dad was a professional driver his whole life. He drove buses and he was an amazing driver, but he gets super frustrated with people that do stupid stuff when they're driving. And this was one incident that we laugh about because he brought it up to us literally like every time we sat down to talk he would bring up this incident because he was so like mad about what had happened so sort of an inside joke finally on just january 6 2014 i knew that our roller coaster ride had come to an end we were celebrating the future birth of my daughter when i took notice that jason just wasn't himself he confessed to me that night that he just didn't enjoy being anywhere anymore without christine if any of you know Jason, you know how strange that must have sounded. For it to make any sense at all, you have to know Christine. There isn't a better person in the entire universe for him. Some couples get married for the sake of marriage and a wedding, some because it's the only thing left to do. And then there are a rare few that do so because they were put on this earth for each other. You two were put on this earth for each other. And that is an absolute truth that everyone here knows. Christine, you've stolen my best friend, but you have given him more happiness than anyone could have ever imagined. I love you for that, and I am so thankful for having the opportunity to love you like a sister. You are marrying into one hell of a gang, and we will do everything we can to protect you, because you are amazing. And to you, Jason, 28 years ago you thought about it, but then you made the choice to be my friend. And today, I could not be more thankful or more honored. You have a lot of great friends amongst us who have shown you relentless friendship over the years. To be by your side here and now is the greatest of the many gifts you have ever given me. To say that we shared many great times together would be a drastic understatement. We lived at each other's houses as if they were our own. We often had four parents to ignore and to do as we pleased. I can safely speak for my own father when I say that he loved you like you were his own and he still does. Our memories and our lives are incomplete without the other. Christmas mornings are blank. School bus rides are uneventful. Childhood memories are empty. And the fulfillment that only true friendship provides is left void. We were the luckiest kids in the world for the simple gift of growing up together and living our lives with each other. And in closing, there are three things that I want you to know. One, you are the hardest working person I have ever met, and you inspire me in ways that you could never imagine. My debt is unpayable, and my gratitude is never-ending. Two, you are secretly one of the smartest and most interesting people I have ever known. To this day, you baffle me with what you know and how intriguing you truly are. And three, you are the most loyal friend I have ever known.
My life is my life because of you. I love you. I love you both. Good luck. Let's drink. And with that, I'll end this episode. The key takeaway is to be the best friend anyone can ask for. It means all of the world. And pay tribute to those that give you that opportunity, people like Brandon and Glenn. And we just started 2019, so a lot of people have their resolutions for the year. I did an episode right before the new year on resolutions and how I am thinking about them a little differently this year. So check that out if you're looking for some ideas. I talk about day trading, real estate investing, vacation properties, being a parent, creating a model of the world for my daughter, and how I'm going about doing that. Check it out. It's pretty cool. But um, often we we overcomplicate resolutions. One of the single most important things that you could work on this year, well, that I I think I'm going to work on this year, is being a better friend. And hopefully in return, someone is a better friend to you. Deepening those important relationships, that's like fundamental for true happiness and fulfillment in our lives. Also, during the research of this, I found a Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation page on Facebook that I started to follow I encourage you to check it out. It, it, will, it will help further exemplify how awesome this man was, give you a little bit more insight and context into, into him and his life, and it can also help serve as a reminder of the friend that you want to be to others. Okay, for those that made it this far, I have a special treat for you. I'm going to play some of the Audible from Among Heroes. It's actually Glenn Doherty's brother, and just enough to make it make you feel its power and want to pick up a copy for yourself. Before I do, I want to please ask you to subscribe if you enjoyed this. If you like this particular show, I'd check out Be Unstoppable. That's about a Navy SEAL and entrepreneur that wrote a book called Be Unstoppable for his four boys. Really powerful. Tribal Warriors is about all of the people that I actually interact with daily. People that have um, a big impact on me or really inspiring me. Man in the Arena is based on the speech from Theodore Roosevelt that was titled Man in the Arena, which if you never heard listen to the podcast or go look up that speech it is awesome lebron james in a separate podcast actually just talked about why like how he has that in his locker he actually has it on his shoes too um it's just so powerful and it 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 can be so relevant to whatever you're dealing with in life it could be if you're like a competitive person and you're you're really playing sports and you're going for it, if you're going through like a battle or a divorce, if you're facing drug and alcohol addiction, if you just had someone that you lost, whatever that that battle is for you, I, I hope that it, you can find some inspiration f- from that episode. And there's a lot of others, so uh, check check them out. And if you like it, if you like this uh, podcast, t- can you tell someone about it? Because really, the way that I want to grow this is by by people that actually get a lot of value out of it. And the best way of doing that is for people that enjoy the show to share it with other people that they think will enjoy the show. So I want to make sure it's reaching the people that will actually get value out of it and, and that, that that will enjoy it. And and if you liked it, please you know give it a rating, give it a good rating. If you didn't like it, please don't give it a rating. Just send me an email, chadshipley at gmail.com. That's much more effective because then I can listen to why you didn't like it and I can work on improving it, which is my goal. I want to keep making this thing better and better for you guys. A negative rating is just kind of like me thinking there's a hater out there. And um, for anyone that had listened to my show on haters, you you know my, my thoughts there. Okay, that is it. I am going to play this for you now. Thanks. Hi, this is Greg Doherty. When I was born, my dad, who was a boxer, told the doctor that I was the great white hope future heavyweight champion of the world. My brother was born a year later, and my dad told the doctor that he was the Great White Hope's sparring partner. 
And I think that pissed Glenn off when Dad used to repeat that story all the time. And so he uh, tried to outcompete me as we grew up. We did our share of sparring, basically wailing on each other quite a bit as brothers. But we also looked out for each other. And um, I'll tell you about this one time. Our dad took us to Ireland. It was just uh, Glenn and I. I was 18. Glenn was 17. It was the summer after I graduated high school. And he'd had a rocky relationship with dad for a long time, uh, particularly since mom and dad got divorced. Didn't think he wanted to go to Ireland. But anyway, we did the whole country uh, from tourist stuff to seeing a lot of our relatives up in Donegal. And there was this one day where my dad was talking to somebody who ran the hotel we were at. And dad had a way of talking too long. And so we got in the car and Glenn said, want me to show you how to drive a stick up a hill? Said, sure. So drove this stick shift car opposite side up this hill across the street. And uh, we looked back in the rear view and dad was chasing us down and stopped the car. Dad came running up and then did that thing where just went forward 10 feet, let him catch up, went forward 10 feet. We were laughing at him. He was pissed. And he came around and uh, I could see that he, he wanted to fight. So I locked the door, which I thought was a little embarrassing, but also possibly life-saving. And uh, he ran around the other side, tried the door, and I got out the passenger side and... Uh, he wound up saying, um, my camera was on the back. and He was really basically embarrassed that we had taken off in front of his friend. And he was pissed. We were on our way to see this beach that his father used to swim at. And we drove the whole way there. It was like an hour and a half drive in silence. There was actually a Tracy Chapman song on this mixtape that I had in there that was the sorry is all that I can say. And we're all sitting there silently listening to her sing, sorry. One of the things that really impressed me after he died was how everyone kept saying how good he was at what he did. He was absolutely top level. Everyone kept emphasizing. But at the same time, he was the same guy we all knew back home, which was super entertaining, super fun to be around. As his older brother, I did try to look out for him. Make sure he was thinking through stuff in a reasonable way. Being careful about his decisions. Growing up as he ought to. I just... Just always admired him and... Couldn't love him more.